Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We're reading the entire Bible together out loud, chapter by chapter. This is Second Samuel chapter 23. After we saw the previous chapter, which, you know, we were kind of saying to ourselves, hang on, what's this psalm doing here, right? Now you might be saying in 23, what's this oracle doing here? Um, you know, so it's pretty interesting just how... Um, as you know, David is kind of going out here with this, uh, with this, you know, swan song, and I guess this is in some ways kind of a, an epilogue on that. Uh, you just really see quite the, I don't know, just I, I mean, really, this is like kind of the, the the Renaissance man before there was a Renaissance, right? I mean, he just uh, there's just quite this range um, from this remarkable character. Uh, but you know, the chapter then goes on for most of it, uh, most of its length, to not even talk about David, but to talk about these mighty men. Um, which we should talk about, right? Like, what, what's going on here? Is this just kind of like, you know, I don't know, this this kind of hall of fame of military exploits, or is there something more to it? I'm looking forward to the conversation today. We're joined by our guest, Pastor Stephen Tice. Uh, now, hang on a second here. Now, my notes are saying something about Cape Girardeau. Did, did, brother, did you move? You were in um, uh, no, I, I, Frona, right? Yeah. Yes, my mailing address is Frona. The the farm where I currently live, when my mother was born there, her birth certificate said she was born in 76, Missouri. Uh-huh. But I'm serving a vacancy at a Lutheran church, Hanover Lutheran Church, which is in Cape Girardeau. So, about oh, okay. Okay. I, I, I thought that you'd, you'd up and relocated on me. <laughs> no, no. It's the same place. Yeah, yeah, okay, okay, very good, very good. Well, welcome back. How are you doing, brother? I am well, thank you. Doing doing fine, uh, still healthy and unaffected by any viruses that have caused problems for others at this point, other than, of course, yeah. the, the common virus of sin that affects all of us, but Christ has dealt with that as well. A- amen, amen. Um so what what do you, I don't know this chapter here uh you know this this final oracle here which is just it's just pretty interesting the way it opens up reminds us of uh the way that some of these other oracles were uttered like uh with uh with Balaam for example um and then like the you know the the, the mighty men that are listed here um it's kind of a curious chapter right Yeah it's it's it has some elements of some strong messianic prophecy, and then after that, it gets into. I'm going to use a, an analysis: those who don't rule justly, hmm. but rather force. Yeah, so there's a, there's a contrast between the the one who comes after David in his family and in the house that God establishes, and and part of that is the contrast. There are 37 of these mighty men listed that served David, and. And yet when Jesus comes and chooses his 12 apostles, the only time they take up a sword, he says, put your sword away. So there's, a, I yeah. think, a, a significant contrast between the, the two who sit on the throne of Israel and how God used them. Yeah, certainly, and it makes you appreciate more why uh, the, the, the Lord's apostles were perhaps— uh, more than a little confused about what they were doing or what they weren't doing, right? You know, when you had this is the model, right? They're sort of like, well, now hang on a second. That's not how this is supposed to go, right? When am I going to, you know, get out my uh, my spear and, like, you know, take out, like, 100 men at once, you know? Um, <laughs> 
<laughs> not not exactly the uh, the expectation. So yeah, well no, this is uh, this is good. I'm I'm looking forward to making some comparisons and uh, contrasts here. But before we do so, would you start us out with a prayer? Certainly. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Almighty and gracious God, we give thanks and praise to you that you have spoken through your servants, causing them to record the message you intend for all people of all times, to read, to receive, and then to reflect and meditate upon that your Holy Spirit might guide us and lead us to truth. We ask your blessing as we consider these sections that have been recorded here today, both words of prophecy and promise as David describes them to us, and description of those who in his time served in a way that was necessary, help us to see the ways in which today we also are called to serve and realize that our strength and power all comes from you, no matter when we live or where we live. Because Christ has died and risen again, we are securely your people Bless us in the study today and watch over and protect all those under attack, both physically and spiritually, that they might stand strong with your mighty ones. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Um, all right. A- any other uh, just kind of brief remarks about, I don't know, what's an oracle, water mighty men anyway, or just any- anything that might kind of just help uh situate this okay sure well i think the couple of simple things would be uh, an oracle is is a message from god or a a revelation god gives to one of his prophets who then records and reports it and the prophet him or herself almost always men but there were a couple of prophetesses hold of one of those these people don't always know exactly what god is saying long term Mm-hmm. And so they record and report what God gives them, even when they don't fully grasp it. Now, in this case, I would say David grasps a bit more than than most people may have because of his continuing conversations with God about what God had promised him. And then the other thing would be in particular, David was one of Saul's mighty men. This is, mm-hmm. I think, significant. When David becomes king, as long as he continues leading the men into fighting as he is designed and intended to do as the one who goes before the people, things mm-hmm. go well. Yeah. And then when he abandons that role, uh, forsakes it, he has others who are his assistants, but in particular, one of them is listed here, the Uriah. We can talk a little bit about that when we get to that, yep. that name itself. These mighty men are meant to allow the king to be available in more than one place to do one thing at a time, not because he's omnipresent, but because his, his uh, I'll use the word surrogates, can carry the fight for him. And, mm-hmm. and uh, as we look at our role in the, in the world today, we are not surrogates for Christ, but we are part of his body. And therefore, where he sends us, he himself is going with us and has work to do. So I think the, that concept of mighty men uh, has, has with it the understanding that they are representatives of God's authority and power, in a physical sense, when the the prince regent himself is not present, I think I think that'll be a really helpful um, frame for just you know making some of those comparisons, like you were just kind of starting to direct our attention towards. Uh, but yeah, let's let's go ahead just with those things in mind. We'll go ahead and read the chapter here. Um, yeah, certainly not 
I, I don't think it's as long as, uh, as the previous chapter. It was uh, pretty long since it was almost uh, Psalm 18 in its entirety here. But here is uh, 2 Samuel chapter 23 here in the English Standard Version. Now, these are the last words of David. The oracle of David, the son of Jesse, the oracle of the man who was raised on high, the anointed of the God of Jacob, the sweet psalmist of Israel. The Spirit of the Lord speaks by me. His word is on my tongue. The God of Israel has spoken. The God of Israel, the rock of Israel, has said to me, When one rules justly over men, ruling in the fear of God, he dawns on them like the morning light, like the sun shining forth on a cloudless morning, like rain that makes grass to sprout from the earth. For does not my house stand so with God? For he has made with me an everlasting covenant, ordered in all things and secure. For will he not cause to prosper all my help and my desire? But worthless men are all like thorns that are thrown away, for they cannot be taken with the hand. But the man who touches them arms himself with iron and the shaft of a spear, and they are utterly consumed with fire. These are the names of the mighty men whom David had. Josheb Bashabeth, a Tachamanite, he was chief of the three. He wielded the spear against 800 whom he killed at one time. And next to him, among the three mighty men, was Eliezer, the son of Dodo, son of Ahohi. He was with David when they, defi- when they defied the Philistines who were gathered there for battle, and the men of Israel withdrew. He rose and struck down the Philistines until his hand was weary, and his hand clung to a sword. And the Lord brought about a great victory that day, and the men returned after him only to strip the slain. And next to him was Shema, the son of Agi, the Harahite, the Hararite. The Philistines gathered together at Lehi, where there was a plot of ground full of lentils, and the men fled from the Philistines. But he took his stand in the midst of the plot and defended it, and struck down the Philistines, and the Lord worked a great victory. And three of the thirty chief men went down and came about harvest time to David at the cave of Adullam. When a band of Philistines was encamped in the valley of Rephaim, David was then in a stronghold, and the garrison of the Philistines was then at Bethlehem. And David said longingly, Oh, that someone would give me water to drink from the well of Bethlehem that's by the gate. Then the three mighty men broke through the camp of the Philistines and drew water out of the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate and carried and brought it to David, but he would not drink of it. He poured it out to the Lord and said, Far be it from me, O Lord, that I should do this. Shall I drink the blood of the men who went at the risk of their lives? Therefore he would not drink it. These things the three mighty men did. Now Abishai, the brother of Joab, the son of Zariah, was chief of the thirty, And he wielded his spear against three hundred men and killed them and won a name beside the three. He was the most renowned of the thirty and became their commander, but he did not attain to the three. And Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, was a valiant man of Kabzeel, a doer of great deeds. He struck down two Ariels of Moab. He also went down and struck down a lion in a pit on a day when snow had fallen. And he struck down an Egyptian, a handsome man. The Egyptian had a spear in his hand, but Benaiah went down to him with a staff and snatched the spear out of the Egyptian's hand and killed him with his own spear. These things did Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, and won a name beside the three mighty men. 
He was renowned among the thirty, but he did not attain to the three. And David set him over, uh, set him over his bodyguard. Asahel, the brother of Joab, was one of the thirty. Elhanan, the son of Dodo of Bethlehem, Shema of Herod, Elika of Herod, Helez the Paltite, Ira the son of Ikesh of Tekoa, Abiezer of Anathoth, Mebunai the Hushathite, Zalmon the Ahahite, Maharai of Netophah, Helab the son of Bana of Netophah. Ittai, the son of Ribai of Gibeah, of the people of Benjamin, Benaiah of Pirathon, Hidai of the brooks of Gash, Abialbon, the Arbathite, Asmaveth of Baharim, Eliba, the Shalbanite, the sons of Jashan, Jonathan, Shema, the Harai, Ahiam, the son of Sharar, the Harai, Eliphelet, the son of Ah Ahaspai of Makkah, all right, just a few more verses to power through here. <laughs> Eliam, the son yeah. of Ahithophel, the Gilanite, Hezra of Carmel, Parai, the Arbite, Igal, the son of Nathan, of Zobah, Bani, the Z Gadite, Zelek, the Ammonite, Naharai of Beroth, the armor-bearer of Joab, the son of Zariah, Ira, the Ithrite, Gerub, the Ithrite, Uriah, the Hittite, 37 in all. All right. So <laughs> I think that one of the things, um, but besides tiring your tongue out more than a Dr. Seuss book, uh, this list does yes. is, is it shows uh, just how eclectic this bunch is. Right. I mean, it's just, uh, you know, what a what a you know motley crew here. I mean, like they're just they're just from all over the place. They, uh, I, I mean, which is which is pretty interesting. Right. That like it's. um I mean, I don't know, and, and like you see, of course, like you said, right? I mean, like even like you know, Uriah the Hittite. So it, it's it's not as if mm -hmm. um, his mighty men are all like uh, Judahites or something, right? We have some from Benjamin, uh, ones from Ammon or uh, the Ammonite, uh, and you just mentioned Uriah the Hittite. These would have been uh, non-Israelites who had attached themselves at some point in time to the people of Israel. This would have been for lack of a better term, uh, I'll use the word conversion of Gentiles, people from the nations joining in the people of Israel. And I'm going to speculate with, I feel personally strong conviction, although it's hard to prove anything, that, that Uriah certainly was one who would have gone through the ritual of circumcision and lived by the laws of the people of Israel. Mm -hmm. I, I suspect the same for mm -hmm. Zelek the Ammonite. These were not merely people that said, okay, we'll join you. They actually, like Ruth, um, several generations earlier, had become one of the members of the people of Israel by conversion. Now, mm -hmm. that's my conviction. I, and again, you can dispute it or reject it. It doesn't matter, but that's what I think happened. A yeah. um, couple other things to note here is we have reference also to the brother of Joab, and the armor-bearer of Joab. Yeah. So we have a couple of guys who are, um, by affinity to the commander of the army, part of the, the mighty men. So uh, the family of, of Joab, that extended family, included not just uh, military leaders, but powerful warriors. And we're not given a whole lot more detail about these individuals, but there are certain groups that have characteristics from God that are, um, I'm going to use the word genetically predisposed to certain functions. 
Some people are musicians. Some people have the gift of music and their ancestors had it. Some have a gift for, for painting or, or drawing that an ancestor had. These men, perhaps, had strength and power of, of form or alertness that allowed them to be significant soldiers, part of that group of 37 mighty men. Yeah, no, it's uh, it is really interesting how how you see that there there is like a sense of certain families, um, certain bloodlines. I, I mean, you saw that in the previous chapter how uh, there was uh, the, the, well, I mean, like particularly right around Goliath and his family, but there are a couple different families right. that are associated with you know giants, right? Um, you know, and, mm-hmm. and we. Uh, we didn't necessarily get into like all of this, but just, you know, uh, just really kind of generally just kind of, you know, big, strong, scary dudes. Right. Um, and, yeah. and so mm-hmm. you, you see some of those things where there's, there's, uh, like you were saying, it's probably something genetic going on. Right. You know, if you've got like six, uh, six digits, right. On all your, uh, yeah. hands and feet, like that's, that's, uh, we, we know that that's a genetic thing. Right. Um, but then, uh, but there's also just kind of some of this too, that, I mean, you saw this even like uh, when we talked about the different kinds of Levites, right, where um, yeah, these mm-hmm. different families were associated with different functions and it just kind of would have been different like trades and skills that were just kind of passed on from generation to generation. I mean, um, I'm reminded of, uh, I forget which one of the Gospels it was, I think it's Luke, but um, the Lord Jesus is referred to as a carpenter where it, yeah. mm-hmm. well, and, and, and there's a variant that where it's like, well, is he? referred to as a carpenter or the son of a carpenter and the, the variance probably there because in that culture there was no difference <laughs> if, if you were the son of a carpenter you were a carpenter you know that's that's how it how it worked so yeah there, there is a lot of uh sense of f- family here i think throughout yes mm-hmm. that would that would be a uh, i personally believe a, a good representation of what's going on here in and the other thing is, as David has, has reigned as king, his, his service to the people of Israel expands basically 40 years, but not all 40 of that were uh, years that he was identified or acknowledged by the whole people of, of Israel. That came yeah. after a couple of years of contested time. But yeah. some of these men were also with him, we're told, when Saul was hunting him before he became king. So we have the the faithful hangers on when David was in trouble. Uh, the comment we'll get to a little bit when we get to the, the comment about drinking water. Yeah, yeah no, that, that that's way. good. That's good, right? I mean, because it, it is interesting how at the very end here, right, there's kind of all this reflection, whether it's uh, in chapter 22 or here in chapter 23, that goes all the way back to, you know, when he's out there in the Judean wilderness hanging on, right, hiding out in the caves, Um <laughs> So mm-hmm. it, it is. It is a. It's an interesting way of kind of like going all the way back to to that point. But I mean, uh, I mean, yeah, it, it's it's kind of weird, right? How I mean, this this kind of reads like a hall of fame or like you know this recounting of like the glory days. But you know, when David was living through them, of course, it was like the darkest time in his life, <laughs> except for I mean, I mean, at the top at the time, right? So I mean, it's. Uh, I mean, that's kind of fascinating in, in itself, but. Well, let's let's not uh, totally neglect though the, the little. It's a short little thing, right? This this oracle at the beginning. It's uh, it only goes through verse seven, um, and in a good chunk of that's this um, introduction here, right? But so, um, so what what do you make though of this? Um, you know, uh, these are the the last words of David because uh, I mean it's interesting because um, if I'm not getting my wires crossed, like you know, there, there's more you know 
uh, yeah, David stuff that's going to happen, <laughs> right? But I mean, that kind of. Sure. Yeah. What do you what do you make of that? I think it would be correct to say, and and other uh, students of scripture and and Christian writers have have referred to this as David's last will and testament in a spiritual sense. This yeah. is David's profession of his of his abiding faith. In fact, he uses a term here that we'll get to in a little bit that that uh, pretty much nails that down in, in the Hebrew sense of, of what the word means when we get to it. Um, it's one of those, those phrases that in English doesn't quite come out the same, but it's, it's in verse 1 where he talks about who he is. Um, and I think uh, the translation may be part of the challenge here with the ESV. And hmm. it's not a, a criticism, it's just it loses part of the the content that might be stronger in another translation. But that's okay. We can we can deal with the word that's there. What, what are you thinking Certainly. of in particular there? Well, this is the Oracle of David, the son of Jesse. Yeah. Now, in that particular statement, uh, David himself is connecting himself to his ancestry, right. and he's using a term that, by definition, indicates two things. One is he is a son— so his his ancestry is referred to here, yeah. and and spiritually, when one acknowledges one's ancestry, one acknowledges that one is born into sin. Uh, if you go back mm-hmm. to Psalm fifty-one, where David says, "Behold, I was shaped in iniquity; in sin I was conceived in my mother," he's identifying his human ancestry in Psalm fifty-one. He ties it primarily to his mother, but here he he goes back to his father. He is the son of Jesse. Though he is the anointed of the Lord and king of Israel, he's going back to the the humble beginnings, if you will, of a shepherd boy. And remembering that when God sent Samuel to Bethlehem, and we hear about the spring of Bethlehem later on, to anoint the next king of Israel, Jesse leaves David at home. Jesse doesn't bring his young so that by calling himself son of Jesse, he actually recalls his humble, almost exclusion as insignificant individual when he was a child or a young man watching the sheep. And now huh. he is the oracle of the man who was raised on high, that contrast that shows up in the ESV. But another translation there is the man who is assured, and this assurance Raised on high is is uh, the ESV translation, but the Hebrew verb there, that's kind of more of a hacham, is is focusing on one who stands firmly grounded. If you look at the New Testament, um, Luther compared this to Second Timothy chapter one, where Paul says, "I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced. I am certain." And and uh, this, it, we often forget that Martin Luther was initially a, an instructor in Old Testament. I mean, that was his, his initial task at the University of Wittenberg, was to teach Old Testament theology. Mm-hmm. And he pulls this out and identifies this as being a way in which David talks about his faith. And to say, raised on high, translates it, but it, in Luther's analysis of the, of the Hebrew verb, he really gets down to the idea that what David is saying here, he is saying, I am assured of the anointed of the God of Jacob, the coming Messiah, not me. So to hmm. say, 
the man who was raised on high in Luther's interpretation, and yeah, yeah. Luther was far advanced in my, from me over any Hebrew reading. Luther says it really goes to the anointed of God, of Jacob, who is raised on high, not David, but the Messiah. That this is about the coming one rather than David himself, and that this is what David really believes. As the sweet yep. psalmist of Israel, he yeah. believes God will keep the promise. Well, yeah, no, and there's, uh, yeah, no, I, I think you're right that there's a lot to this language that, that we can um, explore a little bit more here, but we got to take our break. Everybody, hold on. We're looking at 2 Samuel 23 on Thy Strong Word. We'll be right back. This has been quite a year, a lot of uncertainty. But there is one thing you can count on if you're a member of the Concordia Plans. Your benefits through the Concordia Plans are always with you to help keep you physically, emotionally, and financially healthy. Protect yourself and your family by signing up for your health care benefits, along with additional insurance and saving for retirement. Choose your 2021 benefits November 2nd through the 20th at concordiaplans.org slash myaccount. The Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, on behalf of Concordia Plan Services, Lutheran Housing Support Corporation, Concordia University System, Lutheran Church Extension Fund, the LCMS Foundation, and Corporate Synod, daily reaches out to our members and partners, working together to support our local, global, and international ministries, church workers, and LCMS initiatives at large to carry the mission forward and to serve each other in love. Opportunities to serve, lcms.org careers. In 1924, by the grace of God, KFUO began broadcasting the good news of Christ for you. A long part of this history is bringing you worship services to hear and receive the good gifts of God in His words. This Sunday morning, join us for services from Trinity Lutheran Church at 8 a.m. and our Savior Lutheran Church at 10.30, as well as Bible study from St. Paul's Lutheran Church in De Pere at 9.30. Hear Christ for you in Sunday morning services on KFUO. Also, uh, so it's it's in Cape Girardeau. What's the name of the congregation again? It's Hanover Lutheran Church. So it's actually Hanover Lutheran Church. All right, awesome. Yeah, um, yeah. Joining us to talk about here this this Oracle of David and also his mighty men. Uh, looking at some questions over the break that we got over email. KFUO at KFUO.org is the address if you want to send any questions or comments. So, I mean, these, these comments are getting at the different um, textual variants here um, and just kind of saying, you know, it, it seems like all these variants can kind of determine um, maybe kind of what kind of light these guys are remembered. And so I think the, the questions here uh, in this email here from James are kind of just getting at, yeah, you know, like to what extent are these guys viewed, you know, positively are they viewed as, as kind of like mercenary hooligans? Um, I mean, certainly 
there have been other things in the text that suggest that he did use mercenaries. So yeah, those those are that's a fair question. We'll have to look at some of that. Um, we'll probably won't probably be able to get into that many textual variants, but we'll we'll look at maybe a couple. Uh, you can also send an email, or rather, uh, besides sending an email, you can just hop on the live stream, facebook.com slash ha espinosa. Uh, yeah, so here's a just an easy question here, right? Um, e- easy and because uh, like it's easy to ask. <laughs> uh, like I yeah. asked it, and I still ask it, uh, but I, hard to answer. Uh, do we know what an Ariel of Moab is? Yeah, it, it, this Ariel term, it appears elsewhere. We saw it in Isaiah, too, or like... It seems like God's people is called Ariel. It's like, what is going on with that? Yeah, we'll have to talk about that. Um, you can also, if you are listening live, give us a call, 1-800-730-2727, or if you're in St. Louis, 314-821-0850. I want to thank our underwriters of the Lutheran Heritage Foundation, lhfmissions.org. Thank you guys for supporting Thy Strong Word. So, all right. Uh, we, yeah, we got to take a look at some of these questions here, but let's just kind of uh, get back to the thought that we were on. So you were talking about here, uh, th- there's this term, right? He's talking about, um, well, he's introducing himself as a part of the oracle, right? You know, David, son of Jesse, which is which is interesting. And I think that you were kind of uh, connecting the dots on how, you know, by, by connecting himself to Jesse, it's not like, you know, he's connecting himself to a king or something, but relatively humble beginnings mm-hmm. um and then you got this word right um it says here uh the man you know raised on high or something something like this right uh yeah it, it's mm-hmm. it, it's pretty it's pretty interesting um because i guess i guess you were saying here that like uh luther's take on it was that like it it the the verb could, could have to do with like a assurance or something like this yeah. um this conviction that that a messiah is coming from his house and that becomes clear when we get further into his statement about uh his house and how it stands with god um right yeah when we get to, to verse five we'll pick up on that yeah yeah no so um so so it is interesting and actually so you know the email mentioned variants about the mighty men but there's like a variant on just this one too um because when 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 you look at like the text, right, it, it's sort of like what you have at least like in like the just kind of the the, the Masoretic text is is kind of like our kind of default when we're looking at the Hebrew. I mean, it it's sort of like you know it, it's uh it it's hard to even exactly say what you what you should translate it as. But um, this word, which can be like kind of like raised up, or uh, I think kind of connected to that idea that you were saying of like assurance, kind of like established, right? Like we, yeah. we talk about like being like set up, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. like, like uh, or um, being made to in, in endure, or um, or allowed to endure, right? So that that idea, uh, or, or erecting something, right, or founding something, mm-hmm. right? So uh, yeah. You know, so those are all these different kind of connotations that this word can have, and so it's like, does it say here, um, the man, you know, uh, who was established um, on the Messiah of God, um, or like, or like, or onto, or as uh, the Messiah of God, or um, you know, I mean, like there's the, the very, the variant's really interesting because I mean, it, it could be something along the lines of like, 
you know, like the man, you know, um, you know, establishing, right. Or it's kind of like, almost kind of like the, the founding Messiah or something like, I mean, so like, there's like a lot of different ways you could possibly take this. I mean, it's, uh, it's kind of, it's kind of tricky when you look at all the different options. It is tricky in one way, but in another way, all of them come back to the same conclusion. There is a guaranteed coming Messiah. He will be from the house of David, and you can build your faith on that promise. So all of those things that we've talked about that you were mentioning coalesce into that conclusion that God is keeping a promise, and we see it in in, uh, God's instruction that comes in in 1 Chronicles when he says, um, I'm going to build a house for you, and the promise that he made earlier to David. And you, you hear the words, after you have gone to return to your fathers, I will raise up one. So it's a pointing ahead concept. And that's why in context of other things, God says to David, this really is about the coming anointed one, as opposed to David, the current anointed one. Yeah, I I think, I think so. I I think that you gotta, you gotta look at it in that context that, uh, you know, David, David being established, right. Is more than just stuff that happens to David, and, and we saw this in the previous chapter. How um, it, it's introduced as the uh, the, the the thing, the, the words that he directed to God, or, or the, the words with which he addressed God um, when he had been given rest from all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. And we saw that, like, hang on, what? Mm-hmm. Like, well, wasn't he rescued from Saul, like, a long time ago? Well, I mean, sort of. But but Saul's hand or house outlived Saul. I mean, he had, like, you were talking about surrogates, right? I mean, uh, mm-hmm. you know, he had his son, you know, Ishbosheth uh, as a surrogate. You had, um, you know, uh, Ziba, right? You had um, mm-hmm. those, those, maybe were they mercenaries, right, who were under Sheba, uh, you know, even in a sense, like the, the resulting famine or even the treachery of Absalom in some ways could kind of be uh, traced or connected back to Saul. And so like you're kind of getting at, I think when we talk about like mm-hmm. the house of David being established, it that means more than just stuff that happened in David's lifetime, but certainly um, passing the throne on to his son um, and his son getting to build that temple. I mean, all, all those things that are a part of it. Um I want to make one other connection yeah. to what you think of it. So the thing that this reminded me of, I mentioned, is it's a lot like the language that's used in Balaam's oracles. Um, just, just like really quickly, here's his uh, his third and final oracle here in Numbers 24. The oracle of Balaam, the son of Baor, the oracle of the man whose eye is opened, the oracle of him who hears the words of God and knows the knowledge of the Most High, who sees the vision of the Almighty falling down with his eyes uncovered. I see him now, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. And it goes on from there. Um I, I gotta say, I was really strongly reminded of that oracle. Um, it, the the form mm-hmm. is just so so similar. Like he introduces himself, like yeah. you know, oracle, this guy, son of that guy. He he uses like a passive construction um, that relates him to some different titles of God, mm-hmm. right? And then we get to this idea of what he kind of like sees God doing, and you got. I, I mean, it's just it's very similar. I feel like. 
Yeah, it's looking looking ahead and saying, this isn't me. I'm bringing you a message that's given to me by by the living God. And, and Balaam had repeatedly said, I can't tell you anything but what God tells me. Even if you want me to say X, I can't say X yeah. unless God says it. I can't say what God says. And here David comes with almost the same words. The Spirit of the Lord speaks by me. His word is on my tongue. And, and mm-hmm. this understanding yeah. that it's God bringing the message out. David says, it's not me at all. But what he's also saying is this is not just news for one. This is news for all people. The God of Israel has spoken. The rock of Israel has said to me. And then David passes it on. So I think you're, you're right in, in identifying this recurring theme in the prophets that they repeat again and again. These are not my ideas. I would pick something else to tell you. <laughs> it's almost what they, they end up saying in some cases. Yeah. But, yeah, yeah, no. I mean, I mean, it's uh, and, and I think like we were saying too, just kind of like this, this uh, this awareness that like they know that they can see something and that mm-hmm. it, it's important, and they have a sense of what what it's getting at, but they they don't know the complete sense. Like they they see like well, well, I, I mean, it, it's like a, it, it, I mean, like with Balaam, right? He's like, you know, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near, right? I mean, so there's this kind of this tension of like. Yeah, no, I kind of see them, but I kind of don't. And, uh, you know, it's kind of, on the one hand, it's kind of clear. On the other hand, it's kind of obscure. And that, that's kind of the, the language, right, in verse 4. Like, he dawns on them like the morning light, like the sun shining forth, right, on a cloudless morning. But yep. also, uh, like <laughs> rain, <laughs> that makes uh, the grass to sprout from the earth. So it's like, hang on, is it cloudless or is it raining? You know, uh, <laughs> there's this kind of this, this tension where it's like, it's just kind of more than the mind can process, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's the, the blessing of God coming in multiple ways. And as it comes to us, we don't always perceive what it is God's doing when he does it. Later, when the crop's growing and the harvest is ready, Isaiah 55 you know, pops into my mind when I hear these words. Yeah. And and then the idea that Jesus is the his behold, his light dawns upon us, the the sun of the morning. These passages that come up later in the prophets after David's death and you know, in the time of the, the divided kingdom, there's a focus on this one who is going to be light. And and you know, the things that New Testament Jesus again and again pulls terms and phrases out of the Psalms or out of the the comments of the prophets about how God is active among his people in you know this coming Sunday the reading for we're using the one year series from Lutheran service book um, in Matthew 25 the the announcement of the son of man comes in all his glory and his angels with him mm-hmm. you know you ask yourself a question where in the old testament does this concept come from well, he sits on yeah. his glorious throne. You and I often have the Holy Spirit guiding us to things in the New Testament that in the time that David wrote this weren't possibly accessible to him. So oh, yeah. the Holy Spirit gives stuff that now you and I can, can find, if I can use that word, because the Spirit guides us as we read it. And this is again and again why it's so important for you and me to remember that God's Word leads us to the truth. God's word shows us the truth. We don't find it on our own. And that's why we have this radio program. You know, we've got to be in the word. The Lord's yeah. going to guide us. That's why we yeah. keep talking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, well said. Yeah, no, it's, um, 
Yeah, there there really is just something to that, and 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 even in the the prophecies of the uh, the Lord Jesus Himself, right? There was this kind of tension of this kind of now and not yet stuff, right? Where on the one yeah. hand, he he ta- was talking about the stuff that was going to happen, uh, you know, less than forty years from then, right? A lot of mm-hmm. what he talked about was stuff that was going to happen not even a generation later, um, you know, when when Jerusalem was surrounded by armies and and ultimately destroyed along with the temple, um. But on the other hand, he was talking about stuff that was bigger than that, much bigger than that, because we, you know, we we have those readings in connection with you know like the Reformation and like the future from our perspective, right? So there, there, there's always this tension, right, um, where we kind of are we're always like you were saying, like kind of having the conversation over and over because like the the the, the picture is always kind of bigger than you could possibly um, exhaust with, with kind of like the right. first pass through, right? But um, mm-hmm. yeah, well, let's go ahead then, because uh, we, we gotta we gotta keep pressing on here. So okay, sure. let, let, let's take a look then. All right, so I, I think you do have this. Like okay, on the one hand, yeah, uh, you know, it's like Solomon is it's gonna you know come after me. I've you know I've been rescued from Saul and my enemies. But on the other hand, hey, something bigger is is coming down uh, the pike, right? Uh, but then you transition here to the mighty men, right? So. Yeah. Uh, what what do you make of the position here of the of this of this record, right? I mean, I mean, kind of like after all this stuff. Um, I like what you were saying about you know, is it maybe, maybe it's not even literally the last words that he said, but it's kind of like his kind of like last you know uh, testament or something like that. But but yeah, what do you hmm. make of this this being right here to talk about the mighty men at the end? Well, I think it, it follows if you think about it briefly it versus six and seven in our translations, worthless men are like thorns thrown away. They cannot be taken with a hand. Yeah. Touches them arms and iron. And, yeah. and this is following Jesus being the, the Messiah. You and I know him to be Jesus is the one who rules justly. And now we have these mighty men who are serving with David, all of whom are going to die and disappear. Mm-hmm. And, and so there's, there is a contrast between the house of David that will be established forever and the army of David and his mighty men, while he is king, all of whom pass away. But it gets back to the fact that God did miraculous things through these individuals. The man who kills 800 men at one time with his spear. Yeah. Yeah. And with, without sounding ridiculous, who does that? Well, God <laughs> does that. Yeah. See, this is the key. God does this. These are servants God used to accomplish his purpose. And he rescued his people, Israel. And, and again and again, he says to them, the power and the might of the sword will not win. I, your defender, will win this battle for you. The fight belongs to Yahweh. And we see these things reflected in the mighty men of David. Uh, I found it interesting about the man uh, who is the Eliezer, the son of Dodo. He rose oh, yeah. and struck down the Philistines until his hand was weary and his hand clung to the sword. What I hear that is his hand was so tight on the sword, his muscles had cramped. He couldn't release it. Yeah. He had been fighting so long that he was unable to release the sword. That's how exhausted he was. And yeah, yet, I think that's right. Yeah. God, <laughs> and the Lord well, brought about a great victory. That yeah. Day. Yeah. Well, I mean, isn't, isn't that kind of amazing, right? That uh, it's like, you know, God is here, like, you know, using 
like, like this uh this difficult situation right <laughs> um you know like your hands cramped yeah. up and you can't even you can't even like move it right i, I mean and it actually too it reminds me too even in the new testament when they um talk about the man with the withered hand right and you're like what's a withered mm-hmm. hand anyway like hands don't like wither that's like a plant word right uh well one of the interpretations of that is it's like the hand like seized up right so that it was kind of like stuck yeah in, in one position mm-hmm. right like it couldn't you, you couldn't move it into a different position it's like you know here's a guy right who this is happening to his hand but it's mm-hmm. it's like done in such a way that it's like it, it's it's on the sword still so he could still like keep going right like it's uh i i mean it's I mean, what an image of i guess god using broken instruments for his purposes right certainly and and there's also a, another aspect going on here it's not quite as clear but the the symbolic numbering there are three of these mighty men yeah three that stand and then and we have peter james and john walking with jesus yep um, there are elements that numerically have symbolism that, that may not tie to the fighting per se, but to the representation of three who are close. And then the, the 30 chiefs, well, that's three times 10. Again, a, a number of God providing everything David needed to be secure in his reign as king by these mighty men who do a miraculously miraculous amazing things because God gives them this gift or power. Um, you know, we're told about the three in particular who fought against the, the enemies of God. In particular, we're told about the Philistines who came, and in one case, uh, the rest run away. And then there's the, the guy who defends a field of beans. It, it sounds weird, but the, yeah, yeah. the plot of Lentil. <laughs> yeah. What's this about? Right. Well, what does God say? He says, I'm going to give you all you need. I provide your food. You can depend on me. And so we have the enemy coming to, to attack a field of beans, take away their food. And God says, no, no, I gave the food to the Israelites. You don't get it. Yeah. It's in contrast to the idolatry of worshiping gods of nature so that they grant you a harvest. Here we have God planting one of David's mighty men at the edge of this field and saying, None shall pass, if I can borrow yeah. a phrase from yeah. a crazy movie. But yeah. yeah. Well, so, I mean, actually, uh, along those lines, right? I mean, like, I can't help but think of, like, the, the phrase there, uh, like, a hill of beans, right? Mm. Um, like, I don't, I don't know if that's, like, actually got any connection here right but i mean it, it's just, it's kind of interesting here right that you you have him yeah like he's like you know yeah you shall not pass on this uh you know hill of beans here um i, I mean and, the, sure. and these stories they, they kind of um they, they kind of like they kind of read like that and, and on this one level where i mean it's it's almost zany like you were saying right it's like okay here's this like one man on a bean plot or like this one guy whose hand is like stuck to his sword. Um, and and just, mm-hmm. it's just kind of like men in like these like ridiculous situations and God somehow like just pulls out a victory um, when it just, you know, seems impossible. Um, you know, I mean, I mean, not unlike, uh, you know, God rescuing his people when they're stuck between, you know, the Red Sea and Pharaoh's army, right? It's like, mm-hmm. there's, there's no way, there's no way he's getting out of this. Right, this is like that part of the, the the movie or the TV show where you're like, the hero is totally dead. They've totally got him, right? Yeah. And somehow, 
you know, he, he survives, you know? Um, so, I mean, like there, there, there's certainly comes back. Yeah. Oh, what yeah. was that? Sorry, didn't cut you off. Oh no 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 no! Go, go ahead. What, what, what? Yeah. But he he comes back and defeats the enemy, and I was reminded of what Jesus said. You know, yeah. one does not plunder a, a strong man's house unless yeah. he first binds the strong man. And of course, Revelation right. chapter twenty pops into mind here. But Jesus is the mighty man finally. So yeah. what we have is the mighty men that serve David, all of whom die and. Day in the grave. The one who binds Satan and then plunders his house dies and comes back to life. And here we see an image of the coming Messiah who will fight for God's people and not only defend them from a physical enemy, but will defend us from and defeat spiritual enemies. And finally, the last enemy, Revelation 20 again, to be destroyed is death. And so we have the standing of God's soldiers, David's mighty men against the enemies who want to destroy, yeah. ultimately pointing ahead to the one who is of David's house, who will stand before Satan and defeat him, stand before God and take our punishment, our guilt on him, and then give us food and strength and water and sunshine and the word of God that is light and life for us. So these things are tied to these mighty men. Okay, so so along the lines of some of these connections here between um, you know David, you know who who yeah is shown to you know pass away and, and these things aren't going to last, um, but then how he goes and he prefigures Christ. You you mentioned you know so there's there's a little bit of a, a refrain here, right? Talking about these like these three and then these thirty, yeah. right? And kind of like again and mm-hmm. again. You got you got these three, and then like you know, for instance, uh, it's like within uh, in connection to like uh, you know, Abishai, for example. But but he did not attain to the three, right? And so like, there's right. there's a little bit of this thing about like these three here, right? Um, and you mentioned kind of the inner circle that the Lord keeps, you know, uh, you know Peter, James, and John. Um, so so like, what do you make of like what this says about the organization of David's men? Um, the thing that comes to mind for me is like you, you have a little bit of a refrain in the Old Testament about commanders of thousands hundreds fifties and yeah. tens mm-hmm. right right um mm-hmm. and, and and so to me what, what's funny is i guess like i i guess i kind of always have thought of that as like you, you know like well you can be a commander of a thousand that's a big thing and if you're a commander of like a hundred like well that's not as many men or if you're a commander of like 10 it's like well you know you're like a little mm-hmm. like squad leader or something but on the other hand right like if it's kind of the other way around um, you know, is it, is it like there's these three and each of them is like, kind of like a commander over like 10 of these, like, you know, uh, you know, sub generals or colonels or something. Right. Yeah, sure. And then, and then they yeah. are in charge of each a hundred who are each in charge of it. I mean, like that, it, it can kind of multiply the other yeah. way around. So I, I don't know, like, what do you make mm-hmm. of like the, the three and the 30? Well, I think structurally what you're talking about is, is representative of what we see then when when God is leading his people forward, he appoints a leader who tells the rest what to do. He does not tell every individual what they are to do, but he gives his spirit to those who are to lead. And then when the spirit is on the leader, God blesses the work of all those involved. And I think in the life of the church, as we think about the people of God going out into daily life with our vocations, but also going out into a world that is filled with darkness— God has given us a starting point. 
the apostles multiplied the word to more people who then passed it on to others. We as pastors share it with individuals who take the word in their daily lives and the power of the Holy Spirit goes with them and God's work is being done. I think that's part of it. I, I want to very briefly just talk about the water that David wouldn't drink. Remember when oh, Jesus, yeah, sure, was on uh-huh. the cross? Jesus was on the cross and he refused to drink any painkiller. He said, I will drink the cup the Father gives me, but not the cup humans will give me. And so David pours out a drink offering. Jesus pours out a drink offering by refusing to drink and then giving his water and blood mixed when they pierce his side. There is actually a a pointing to Christ intentionally in David refusing to drink the water. David didn't know it at the time, but he says, I won't take the water of those who risk their lives. Christ gives his life that you and I might receive the water of new birth and renewal of the Holy Spirit. So there's, there's this connection to David not drinking and Jesus fully drinking the, the wrath of God in, in the cup that he took for us. Uh, that's an amazing connection, and I think it, it also kind of really stands out uh, with the mention of Uriah at the end, because we remember that yeah. when he brought Uriah back to Jerusalem, right, he's like, hey, eat, drink, you know, go home, see your wife, right? And why did Uriah say, no, no, I'm not, I'm, I can't do any of that. I can't do that and enjoy all those good things while your men, my, my brothers in arms, are out there risking their lives and dying, right? So very yeah. fascinating, mm-hmm. right, that in this moment, David's doing that, uh, but in the other, right, where Uriah's doing that, he goes and he kills Uriah. I mean, really, I, I think just highlights, uh, and to your point, how th- this chapter has kind of like that really weird balance of how it shows how David fails again and again, and, and it doesn't quite measure mm-hmm. up, um, but then, you know, how he is yet pointing ahead. And so, uh, great, great yeah. stuff. We'll have to save the Ariels of Moab for some other time, but... <laughs> Thank you so much, brother. Glad glad to have you. you on again and looking forward to having another conversation soon. Thank you. God's blessings with you. Uh, thanks. And to you too, brother. Everybody, Pastor Stephen Tice of uh, Frona, Missouri, going on to chapter 24, last You've chapter. Till then, I'm Pastor H.S. Espinosa. Peace. The Lutheran Church, Missouri Senate Office of National Mission in cooperation with Worldwide KFUO, the official broadcast ministry of the LCMS. Your support is vital for this program to continue. You can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at kfuo.org. Thank you for listening and supporting Thy Strong Word.